Mrs. Bigman. Dear Mrs. Cushman, we regret to inform you that your husband has been killed in action. The tragic loss of your son has shocked all of us deeply. I extend my most profound sympathy to you on the recent loss of your daughter, who laid down her life on the field of battle. It is nearly impossible to find the words to say to the parents of one who has been killed in war. Some measure of comfort may be derived from the knowledge that he died in the service of his country and in the defense of a peace-loving people. Her enthusiasm and discipline marked her as an outstanding soldier, and as such, she commanded the respect of the officers and fellow soldiers of this unit. I am confident that his devotion to duty, at the cost of all hell dear, will hasten the day when ruthless aggression shall disappear from the face of the earth. I am proud to have served with him. Our faith enables us to withstand the shock and grief of death. It is my earnest prayer that Almighty God will sustain and strengthen you in this hour of trial. While the loss of your beloved one will be a hardship, we know that no life is truly lost for those who have faith in God. To all of you who have received these letters of condolence, and to all the brave men and women who gave their lives in defense of freedom, we remember you and honor you today. And we do remember and we do honor those who have given their lives so that you and I can enjoy the freedoms that we have. World War II produced uh, many heroes there was one particular man named Butch O'Hare. I don't know if you're familiar with his story. He was a fighter pilot assigned to the aircraft carrier Lexington in the South Pacific. One day his entire squadron was sent on a mission. And after his entire squadron was sent on a mission, it became known while he was airborne that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel and he wouldn't be able to make it to where he was going. So he would be asked to return to um, the Lexington. His flight leader told him uh, to drop off the formation and leave his men, and so he did. But he did so reluctantly. As he was returning to the mothership, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A squadron of Japanese aircraft were speeding their way toward the American fleet. The American fighters were gone on a sortie, and the fleet was all but defenseless. He couldn't reach a squadron and bring them back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing to do. He must somehow divert them from the fleet. So laying aside all thoughts of personal safety, he dove into the formation of the Japanese planes. Wing-mounted 50 calibers blazed as he charged in, attacking one surprised enemy plane and then another. 
Butch wove in and out of the now broken formation and fired as many planes as possible until all his ammunition was finally spent. Undaunted, he continued the assault. He dove at the planes, trying to clip a wing or tail in hopes of damaging as many enemy planes as possible and rendering them unfit to fly. Finally, the exasperated Japanese squadron took off in another direction. Deeply relieved, Butch O'Hare and his tattered fighter limped back to the carrier. And upon arrival, he reported in and related the events surrounding his return. The film from the gun camera mounted on his plane told the tale. It showed the extent of Butch's daring attempt to protect his fleet. He had, in fact, destroyed five enemy aircraft. This took place on February 20th, 1942. And for that action, Butch became the Navy's first ace of World War II and the first naval aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. A year later, Butch was killed in an aerial combat at the age of 29. His hometown would not allow the memory of this World War II hero to fade. And today, O'Hare Airport in Chicago is named in tribute to the courage of this great man. So the next time you find yourself at O'Hare International, give some thought to visiting Butch's memorial displaying his statue and his Medal of Honor. It's located between Terminals 1 and 2. If you've ever been to Chicago, have you, any of you ever heard that story before? What a story. Um, there's no way to thank the people. Uh, the freedoms that we enjoy today and that we have, um, I think as, as the generations go on, unfortunately, I think it's kind of less and less thought about. That's just my opinion. Um, I had two grandfathers that served in World War II. My father served in Vietnam. Thankful that they came home. There's so many that go that never come home. So are you glad this morning to have the freedoms that you do? We can thank all those people who are willing to sacrifice their very own lives. And I have a little book. It's called Pearl Harbor. And, and in the book, it just all these different stories of these 17, 18, 19-year-old kids. They were kids that um, were willing to give their lives for the freedom that, that you and I enjoy. So we don't forget there's a difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Because Memorial Day, we remember those who literally gave their lives so that we could be free. So I want to transition this morning uh, to our focus today. Every fifth Sunday that we have uh, during the year, which as you know, uh, are four times during the year, we have a different emphasis. And our emphasis today uh, will be on the Word of God and the opportunities that we have to receive further education as it relates to God's Word. Um, we're going to specifically hear from uh, Robbie uh, Roberts and Christy Russell today, uh, both involved with the Grace School of Theology. Um, one of the things I would want you to do is to be open-minded to the fact that you 
maybe 60 or 70 or even 80 uh, or younger, and you can go to school. Because grade school theology, their classes are taught online. And I know I've tremendously benefited personally uh, from the school. And I very much appreciate Dr. Anderson, who's the president of the college, um, and his commitment to the text. For me, that's just so, so important. I know it is for you. But I really, really appreciate Dr. Anderson, Grace School of Theology, and all the opportunities they afford for any of us in this room. So I want you to get out of your minds to begin with. I can't do that. You can <laughs> and there's opportunities to do that, not only if you want to receive a degree, but if you just want to audit a class, and they're going to talk about some of those things. So I wanted to set the table by reading from Hebrews chapter 4. If you would just stand as, as we read this morning, and just want to make mention of the fact that our youth today are leading us in worship through song, and uh, I really, really appreciate these young people. Uh, and the way I look at them, they're young. So I just really, really appreciate them and uh, as they lead us this morning. So let me just read from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Wow. This morning I was with uh, Bill White, and we were in Hoover at the Hoover Jail. They did not keep me. I'm thankful they did not. Um, but pray for Bill White when you think about it. What an opportunity that is to be into the jails and to be able to share the word of God, and um, this morning I shared uh, with the guys that um, the Lord cares about them. Um, that's one of the things, that if you could get five people in your life to care about you, you know, that's, that's pretty good, but these guys are in a situation where they're just looking for one, and I reminded them that there is one that cares about them very much and loves them, and so... I'm just so thankful for God's word. I trust you are. And this morning we want to honor our Lord and Savior. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing this morning. Father, we are truly thankful. I trust that's right, that we are thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy. We do see things in our world changing, ever-changing, right before our eyes. So many people uh, are hopeless in terms of they just don't believe there's any hope in this life. And so, consequently, they just live for this life. They live for now. But those of us in this room this morning and those around the world this morning that have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, <clears throat> we have hope. And it is not a hope so but it is a certainty. Lord, just to imagine, as, as we need to be reminded over and over again, one day you're coming back for your church. And I believe that's going to be one day pretty soon. 
that you're going to come for us. And Lord, I pray that we are ready. I told those inmates today, um, every one of us needs to be ready. And if we know you, then we're ready. But we certainly don't want to be ashamed at your coming either. So for those of us that are in Christ, I pray you would help us to live obedient lives. For some in here that may not know you, that may not have a relationship with you, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today might be the day when they come to know you. Thank you so much for these youth. Thank you for their desire to minister and to be used. I, I just so thank you for them. And I pray that as they lead us in song today, that our hearts would be full in worshiping you. And all this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, if you guys will just remain standing as we worship the Lord together.
The most repeated question by Jesus during his ministry was this, have you never read? Have you never read? Underneath that simple question is a life-altering implication. You should read the Word of God. That's why Jesus also says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus knows that there is a spiritual hunger inside of every human heart that can only be satisfied by consuming the words of God. Christian, give yourself to the Word of God. The Word of God is a rock, strong and steady. It doesn't budge, break, or crumble under pressure. It's an anchor in the storm, keeping us calm when everything around us is chaotic. The Word of God is a mirror showing us who we really are. You don't just read the Word of God, it reads you. It's a treasure, beautiful in every dimension and worth every effort of discovery. It brings endless joy and eternal riches to all who find it. It's a fire spreading across the world to bring heat and light. It's a river bringing life and power to everything it touches. The Word of God is a seed planted deep inside of our hearts, producing the fruit of holiness and righteousness. The Word of God is a sword, dividing true and false, right and wrong, good and evil. It's a hammer, crushing what needs to be crushed and breaking what needs to be broken. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to show us our path. So let the voice of God be the first the last and the loudest voice in your ear today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. Give yourself to the Word of God. Quite a video, isn't it? I found that this week. I said, Amanda, I don't know how to put it up there, but we need it to happen. And uh, what a great, powerful video. Um, it just spoke to me about, and personally, I mean, just in my life, and um, just about how I can rely on Him. And um, it doesn't change as the youth were singing about the greatness of the Lord. You know, um, when we describe people, sometimes we um, might have to change a modifier or two, but we don't with the Lord. He's always great. And he always will be great. And so I'm just so thankful this morning. My heart's full. Thankful for the youth just leading us this morning. I mean, fantastic job, guys. We really appreciate it. I mean, they're just fantastic. I, I've been able to be with them on some Wednesday nights lately. And they make me feel young. I mean, they just make me feel young and... And I'm not as young as I once was, but I'm certainly thankful for those young people. Um, this morning, we are going to uh, hear about Grace School of Theology. I was introduced to Grace School of Theology a few years ago, and uh, I had a long journey to receive my first master's degree, a long journey of about 25 years. <laughs> so um, uh, it ended at Grace School of Theology a few years ago, and I'm still taking classes that I can. Um, 
I mean, can we ever study the word enough, right? And so I uh, have been privileged to have Robbie Roberts as a friend for a good amount of years now. Uh, Robbie and I are alike in that we share a birthday. He was born on October 9th, and I was born on October 9th, but he is my senior by a few years, I think. I don't know, we've never really talked about that a whole lot, but um, he's a tremendous friend and a brother in Christ, and uh, I would talk with Robbie about anything. The only thing about Robbie is if you want to talk with him about something, you need at least a half an hour, if not an hour or an hour and a half. I remember one time, Teresa called me on the phone, and it was at the old campus on Springville Road. She said, babe, where are you? It was 1.30 in the afternoon. I said, well, I'm about to leave the church, I hope. <laughs> uh, it was time for lunch, but we enjoy conversations together. And um, it's rich to have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, Robbie is the senior director of the Alabama teaching site here. Uh, in Trustful, the school is uh, in Trustful, and he'll introduce Christy uh, Russell. But for those of you who do not know Robbie Roberts, um, he is, like I said, a great friend, but he's also the senior director of the Alabama um, site for Grace School of Theology, which is led by uh, the president, Dr. Um, Anderson. And so he'll talk more about that, but I don't want to take any more time. I want Robbie and Christy to have their time. So, Robbie, you come and and share with us about Grace School of Theology. I, I, they, they had the microphone turned off. They thought I wouldn't catch that, but no, Van came down and gave me a heads up. He said, no, Robbie, we know you need a full battery, so we didn't turn it on in advance uh, there on that. So I, I appreciate the full charge uh, there, Van. Listen, uh, I, I'm really excited that everyone's here today. This is a lot bigger crowd than I thought. I figured everybody would be out on the road, but everybody has showed up. It's just fantastic. Uh, for you, you to be here. Uh, I, you're going to be challenged today. I want you to uh, settle in, listen close. You're going to get to hear from uh, some, some great speakers after me, and uh, they're going to share with you more and more about the school. But you just heard about the Word of God, and that's kind of what I want us to start out with today. So if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, I encourage you to either ask us to get a Bible uh, if you don't have one at home, or if you have one at home, start to bring it to church, because it's a great idea to have your Bible here. And turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Now, Acts 17 has become one of my favorite passages. I had an opportunity last fall to go to Greece. Gina and I went to Greece, and we had a great opportunity. Some of y'all shared with her some of her uh, explorations on Facebook, and I wanted to go there mainly because I wanted to see some things that Paul, the Apostle Paul, during his journeys, that he had been able to encounter. And so from that, Acts 17 is kind of where we start to, Paul heads on into Greece. So this morning I want to ask you a question, are you noble or are you a rabble-rouser? 
Are you noble or are you a rabble-rouser? Well, first off, I've got to say is, is what's a rabble-rouser? Okay, some folks may not be familiar with that. You young people, that's something we used to say when I was a kid, but I hadn't heard it quite as often. But anyway, a rabble-rouser is someone who stirs up the rabble. Okay, well, what's a rabble? Okay, all right. A rabble is a disorderly crowd or a mob, okay? So the language kind of changes, but now we all know what a mob is. We all know what a riot is and that sort of thing. So we're going to ask that question, okay? So beginning in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, we find the Apostle Paul on a mission trip to Greece. And starting in verse 10, we find Paul arriving in a city called Berea, okay? It says there, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. More noble. Now, let's see here if I can work this. Quick geography lesson. I think that sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we tend to lose track of the the fact that these were real events and happened in real places. Unfortunately, none of them happened in North America, so it's really kind of hard for us to identify at times. However, if everybody knows where Greece is, I put a little map up here to kind of get a general idea. And over on the right-hand side of the screen, that's the Holy Land. And, of course, that's where most of the Bible takes place. But Paul is a traveling guy, and he ends up over in Greece. And what part of Greece he ends up in this particular area. And right here in Berea is where we're at. But we're also going to be over here in Thessalonica. Noble character. In this particular passage, noble character is best understood as a willingness to learn and evaluate something fairly, to be open-minded or to be noble-minded. So that's the question I want to ask you today. Is this what you want to strive for, or are you actually falling into another camp? Okay. At the end of the verse, you'll notice that it said that these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now, if you happen to find yourself over in Greece traveling around and you see the road signs of where to go, it won't say Thessalonica. It'll say Thessaloniki. So you want to impress your friends, tell them it's Thessaloniki because that's where it is. And if you're going to Corinth, it doesn't say that. It says Corinthios. So kind of learning a little bit of uh, geography and some of the language there the next time you're uh, talking to folks about Greece. But why were these guys compared to the people in Thessalonica? Well, for that, we need to drop back to the beginning of the chapter. So if you'll move back up just a touch to the beginning of chapter 17, we'll see what happened back in Thessalonica. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Okay? So, note here now that Paul spent three straight Saturdays. Yeah, I said Saturdays. Okay, because remember, at this time, they hadn't started switching and meeting on Sundays. The Sabbath was originally on Saturday. These guys were still meeting on Saturday, and he reasoned from the Scriptures. 
Now, at this time, the New Testament hadn't been written, so the Scriptures were what we consider to be the Old Testament. So he's actually going through the Old Testament writings, and he showed them the truths of Jesus from the Old Testament, and then he, he explained to them that the Messiah that was foretold and talked about in the Old Testament was, in fact, Jesus, whom Paul was now proclaiming to them. In verse 4, it picks back up, and it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So what kind of response did Paul receive? We see here that some Jews believed, and in addition, some non-Jews. That's these Greek folks that they're talking about. And pick up on the fact that it mentions that prominent women were also uh, believed. Now, it's important to note that women are discussed in the Bible and are elevated in the Bible. Many times that kind of gets passed over. Today's society thinks, oh, churches, you know, they don't really uh, promote women that much. Right from the beginning, and you'll see again in a moment, ladies are given high honor in the church. Now, the Roman society at that time may not have been elevating the ladies, but the churches did. Unfortunately, everyone was not so keen to receive this good news. It says here in verse 5, it says, But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. Uh-oh. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, a.k.a. a riot, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, they, they uh, rounded up these uh, wicked men of the rabble. Now, who are these bad characters? I don't know if anyone here has an, what I would call the old King James version with them this morning. Does anybody here have an old King James that's willing to raise your hand? Okay, great. We do have a few folks here. That's the kind of Bible I had when I was a young person, okay? They didn't have all these new translations and everything that we do now that, quite frankly, we can understand easier. But I just saw this, and I had to share it with you this morning because in the King James these folks are known as, let's see if this works again, the lewd fellows of the baser sort. Yeah, lewd fellows of the baser sort. Now, it's not a wonder we came out with some of those new translations, folks. Okay, now that is actually from the original 1611 uh, King James Version, and it carried over into what used to be the New King James, which basically went out of style sometime in about the 1970s uh, when some other versions started coming out. Uh, lewd fellows of the baser sort, well, what exactly are these? Well, the Greek word here is the uh, oragaros, and that, this word basically means one who idles away their time in the marketplace, a bum or a rabble perhaps even ignoble. Interesting. The Agora was a place, and if you get a chance to go to, uh, over to, uh, and tour some of the ancient cities, that was the marketplace. That's where all the action was happening. That's where you bought your goods. Uh, you can still see these ancient ruins in these cities today. And so this is a takeoff on these words. These were basically folks that hung out where all the people were, but they were idle and they weren't doing anything very valuable. So what they do with these guys? Well, on in verse 6, we see it says, When they could not find them, 
Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. All right, so here we see that these guys played the political card on them. They said, whoa, wait a minute here. These guys are going against Caesar. You want to get some trouble started in a hurry? You want to get people in trouble? You just start talking about going against the government. And that's exactly what they did with Jesus. We know that's what they, the trumped-up charges that they brought against him. They're trying the same play in a different part of the world against Paul. So now we understand what happened in Thessalonica. Now we can make a better comparison with the folks back in the Bereans. So the question is, is why were the Bereans more noble than the Thessalonians? Was it because they weren't rioters? I don't think so. Let's take a look at, back, uh, move on back down to verse 11. It said, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You see, these guys didn't just study the scriptures on Saturdays. They studied them every day. They didn't just come to church on Sunday, listen to Pastor Thad, go back home, and wait till next week to find out what happens with the story. They actually go home every day, and they were searching these things out. They didn't just accept what Paul said as fact. They went and looked for themselves. And what happened? Many of them, in verse 12, it says, Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as the men. This time, the ladies are actually mentioned first. And what were the results? Again, we see Jews, prominent women, and men coming to believe. Well, word got back up to Thessalonica. You know, people are traveling around these roads and stuff. And in verse 13, it says, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul down in Berea, they came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So we've got to ask ourselves this question again. Are you a noble? Are you part of the rabble? Perhaps you're even one of the rebel rousers. We've got to ask ourselves this question. Which do you, would you rather be a part of? Would you rather be in one group or the other? Are you already in one group or the other? You know, do you find yourself at times maybe on social media stirring things up, you know, kind of like, hey, let's see what I can get going on this. Are you someone, though, who's actually going around and sharing truth? and explaining to folks the truths of God's Word? Are you excited about opening up your Bible and saying, hey, this is pretty interesting stuff in here. I didn't realize there were answers here that I never even knew about. I ask you that today. Now, if you want to move from being idle or part of the rabble, and you're interested in going deeper, one possible solution is what Christy and myself and Thad are going to talk about today, and that is the Grace School of Theology. 
Okay. I'm going to tell you a few facts here, but this is, I promise this is not going to be a long, drawn-out um, dissertation all about school. We have a local teaching site. The school is located in a place called the Woodlands, Texas, which is just a little north of, of Houston. Okay? But we actually have a spot here where Christy and my office resides, and also uh, we have a classroom there where sometimes we teach classes live. Most of the time our classes originate from the Houston area, but sometimes they originate here because we like to get our groups together and our students in the Birmingham area. I don't know if you can see this map very well, but if you don't know where the school is, does everyone here know where the Cracker Barrel is? Okay. Most people do know where the Cracker Barrel is. Across the street from the Cracker Barrel is an Applebee's. Everybody know where the Applebee's is? Right behind the Applebee's, there's this professional strip, and at the end of that strip is the Grace School of Theology. Anyone with a motorcycle who's been to the Harley-Davidson store has certainly seen us because we're just right across the street from that. This is a picture inside our building, and then on the right here, that's a, that's a shot from our uh, uh, administrative offices, and if you look real close, you'll see they even have a special clock just for us here in Trussell. But we're on the same time as Houston, so uh, I kind of joke with them that we're not as far away as they think. Now, what is the school doing outside just the folks here in our church? Many of you might know Pastor Thomas Beavers. He's come and uh, spoke here at a men's fellowship before. I get an opportunity to get to go down to his church on Wednesdays at lunch. And um, their church, we have many of their members down there have joined the school. And he has introduced us to many African-American pastors throughout the Birmingham area. Many of them are taking classes now. And lay people from their church are already participating in taking classes. Now, at our school, we are both a seminary and a Bible college. Okay, so a Bible college is where you get an undergraduate degree, and a seminary is where you get a graduate degree, okay? And we also offer uh, doctorates. Now, if you're standing here and you're saying, well, I'm not so sure I'm ready for this college business again, if you're younger, you definitely might be wanting to think about that. If you're older, you can still do it. I just had a, a, a young lady who started in her early 60s. Two weeks ago, she graduated fantastic person. Uh, Ellen Hardy is her name, and she has grown and matured so much through this process, it's just absolutely amazing. But if you're standing there saying, well, okay, I'm not quite so sure I'm, I want to take the full plunge like what Ellen did, you can audit the classes, which means you can sit into the class, but you don't have to do all the homework. Or you can potentially take a look at something else we have, which is called the Grace Center for Spiritual Development. And it's designed for lay people to allow y'all to be able to uh, encounter a little bit of the truths of the school on your own uh, on time and to be able to learn more about the Bible, but it's at a higher level than what you might have in just your typical class, but not as high as what it is in the seminary. Additionally, if you want to know more, please visit our website, which is the letters G-S-O-T. stands for Grace School of Theology. Around the office, people say GSOT. But anyway, .edu, not, not .com. Take a look at that website. We're also going to be at a table in the back after church. If you want to talk to us there, that's fine. Perfectly, uh, we'll have some stuff back there. We'd love to be able to share it with you. Again, I challenge you. Are you noble? I hope so. If you want to become more noble, you want to learn more about the Word, 
Dive in. Find something on your basis. Perhaps the Grace School of Theology is something for you. Now, next, we're going to hear from Christy Russell. Christy is fantastic. All the ladies around here should know her. She is our ladies director here at the church. She is also the, uh, an admissions advisor for us in Trustful, and she's so good at admissions advising that during COVID, she started working with the registrar, and now she is fixing to be, and she's already the acting registrar, but she's fixing to be the actual registrar for the whole school out of Houston. So, Christy, you're on. I feel like I should introduce myself to everyone. I've been out for about three to four weeks. So my name is Christy Russell. <laughs> um, through work things, I was out in Houston for graduation, and I do wedding flowers on the side. I had a beautiful wedding that felt like I was at church. It was a God-honoring ceremony and just a beautiful, joyous occasion last week. And then I was sick, and so I feel like I haven't seen y'all in forever. So it's really good to be here. And Robbie shared some of the details about the school, but I want to tell you a story. Um, growing up at Springboro Road Community Church, uh, Southeastern Bible College was in front of us all the time. My parents even went to Southeastern Bible College when I was in eighth grade. We had started homeschooling that year, so guess who got to sit in the, stu- the sub, the student union building? Guess who got to attend Dean Held's doctrine classes and sit in the back if she kept her mouth shut? So I grew up uh, going, going to Southeastern with my parents. So feeling the Lord's leading in my life for ministry, it was natural when I got out of high school, I went to Southeastern. Um, did a two-year degree there, did an internship in Ireland, came home, didn't know what I was supposed to do. The Lord did not give me um, this divine revelation that I was supposed to stay in Ireland or what I was supposed to do ministry-wise, and I kind of floated around. But I'm very thankful that I had the two-year degree from Bible college under my belt because it gave me a foundation. And I always wanted to go back to school. So I started, I went back to Jeff State for a little while, thought I was supposed to go into pharmacy. I did Liberty Online for a little while, and the Lord just kept shutting doors for school. But I'm a nerd, if you've known me anytime. If you're in a Bible study I lead, we're going to, like, look in the dictionary. We're going to talk about Greek words. Um, we're going to write, we're going to study. So I always wanted to go back to school, but the Lord just, it just didn't happen. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to go back to school for. And when Southeastern closed their doors, there was a hole in Birmingham for seminary and Bible college and just sound theological training. And I'm thankful for the leadership here through David Nichols and Robbie and um, that and Thad that fostered this relationship with Grace School of Theology. So we're sitting at the open house, and if you know my husband Rob, he speaks a lot. He's very loquacious. I'm just kidding. So (laughs) we're at the open house for Grace School of Theology, and I'd already met Dean Haywood, who's now our provost, and Willie Gaines, who's now my boss. Um, And we're sitting there, and he just leans over, and he said, will you please just start back to school already? Because he could just tell I was chomping at the bit. In the meantime, I had started here with the Bible study, with the women's ministry, and I realized I loved teaching the Word of God, but I needed to be better equipped. You ladies were asking me questions that were sending me home to study or just having me deer in headlights, and that's good because teachers need to be challenged. And so with Rob's support and his dedication as a husband and father, I was able to go back to school. Now... I was still working almost full-time at the pharmacy. I was ministering here at the church, and um, 
and I had a family and a young child. So I got to tell you about what happens at Grace and how the professor saw me not just as a student, but as a mother. So I had one professor and Silas, if you met Silas, my son, he used to really like to dress up. So I would be on class with our live stream. So if I turned on my camera, the professor could see me, the other students could see me, I could see them. We could interact just like everybody knows what Zoom is now. I didn't know what Zoom was then, but it's kind of similar to that. And you can always watch the recordings later of the class session if the time doesn't fit your schedule. So it's very flexible, but I always tried to attend class live because I have questions and I want to ask them and I don't want to ask them on an email and I wanted to interact with my professors and my classmates from around the world. So I was attending class live and Silas had a way of slipping in my office door and popping up, dressed like Darth Vader, dressed like Indiana Jones, dressed like Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. I had one professor that loved it. He thought it was hilarious. And he would say, well, what are we getting tonight? If Silas didn't pop up, Dr. Cancel was like, what's going on? But our class would run from 7 to 10 at night. And Dr. Cancel always took our break at 8.30 because he knew that's when I put Silas to bed. So he paused class for me, one student in the class that was a mother that wanted to put her son to bed. And I will never forget that because I thought, Lord, I could have sacrificed that sweet time with my son to go to school. I don't think you would have really wanted me to sacrifice that time because those years are short. And you still made a way. You gave this professor the insight to see that and that he loved my son dressing up and popping up in the middle of class. It was not a distraction or disruption. He just kept on teaching, smiled at him, said hello, and kept on going. And so I have lots of great memories about my classes at Grace. And then I finished my undergrad in 2020 and got to go walk in 2021 with uh, some of my graduating class from Jamaica, from Panama, some from the Philippines. And I got to meet students that I had only seen in a Brady Bunch square in class for the last four years. So it's very exciting. The perspective that it afforded me getting to be with students from around the world was invaluable. And when I went to Southeastern at 18, I still had a high school mentality. And those of you that are in high school, you learn stuff and they give you a test and they want the right answer on the test, right? They don't want your answer, they want the right answer, right? Hopefully your answer is the right answer and you get good grades, so you have this mentality. So I went into Southeastern like that. I wanted them to tell me what the right answer was. And then I wanted to put it on the, te on the test. And I wanted to pass because I wanted all A's. And going back to school in my late 30s, I realized I had learned how to think. And that grace gave me even better tools to think in a doctrinally sound way, to filter things through the Word of God and not through society or whatever other grid was being impressed upon me. So at Grace, I really feel like I developed how to think instead of somebody else telling me what to think. And as I learned how to think, I thought, I'm a child of God. How I think should be determined from the Word of God, and how can I do that if I don't know what the Word of God says? Or if I'm dependent on somebody else once a week, maybe twice a week if I go to Bible study or small group, to feed it to me with a spoon. 
because they can't possibly tell me everything I need to know in those short periods. So I'm very grateful, and that is why, after finishing an undergrad, and some of y'all looked at me like I was crazy when I said, hey, I'm in grad school now. Um, I went on and am working on a graduate degree. This is a much slower process. Two-year, rest of a two-year, rest of a four-year degree took me four years. I don't know how long grad school is going to take, but as I counsel our students, I said it's not about the piece of paper at the end. When I finished my undergrad degree, somebody said, "Well, are you going to get a job at a church?" I said, "I have a job at a church," and they're like, "No, like a real job at a church where they pay you." I said, "I have a real job at a church. They don't, they don't pay me, but that's okay. Like I have a real like." We're all in full-time ministry, or we should be as children of God, um, whether we're paid for it or not. Whether I go into my paid-for job, it is a ministry as well. I have a contact with people there, and what, um, and I can do that better because I'm equipped for my time I spend at Grace. So that's why I continue on in school, although I may gripe about assignments and papers because they're super fun. That's why I say maybe start with auditing, see how it goes. Um, but I also wanted to challenge the young people. You know, some of you may not be looking at college. Some of you may not have any idea what you want to do. But a year after high school spent at Grace, spending your gap year learning the Word of God, if you take a whatever a gap year is, I don't know, we didn't do that. Um, taking that time and really digging into the Word of God, that, that's not a wasted year. It's going to give you a foundation for whatever the Lord calls you on to do. It may actually give you more guidance into what that is, because through your classes at Grace, through the other things we have in, um, with our students with discipleship and mentoring within the school, you're going to learn to listen to the Lord, to follow what he's calling you to do. So if you're just like, I have no clue what I want to do, and I'm just going to hang around here and work, there's nothing, nothing bad about that. But maybe consider taking a class or two at the same time. Um, it's, not, it's not a waste. And I will say leading Bible study with the ladies and, and working in the ladies' ministry here, I need to be in class. I'm not a very disciplined person on my own, but if I'm in class, I have a schedule. And it keeps me on schedule for all the other things. So it really has been good for me just to keep me in my spiritual life, hold me accountable, um, keep me focused. And I love the fact that I'm in class with students that are 17, 18 straight out of high school at the undergrad level. And then I'm in class with students, like Robbie mentioned, like Ellen, who's in her 60s going back to school. And we have all kinds. So some of y'all may be thinking, I've already, I already have a degree. Like, but time spent investing and in learning the Word of God is never wasted. We have um, several applicants right now that are at their church. They're called deacons in training. And one of the requirements is, is that they take a couple classes at Grace. And I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. What if we had all our leadership taking classes at Grace? You know, and our people that are leading different ministries in our churches. And I'm not saying taking a full load or even pursuing a degree, but just taking a class here and there. You're going to teach a Bible study on the book of Philippians. Will you take Pauline Epistles, Less Romans, with Dr. Kinsell, and he, <laughs> he will pray for you. And pray over you and stop class if you need to put a kid to bed. So um, I just wanted to share some of my story. I'll be here to talk to you. Um, but Grace has been a life changer for me. And I'm very honored to work for the school now and represent them. And um, just for those of y'all that may be saying, well, especially young people, we just had two brothers at graduation that graduated this year, the Fowler brothers. One of them's actually going to be in 
Gunnersville uh, with a Christian camp doing an internship. So he's got my phone number because his mama wanted him to have somebody a little closer because they're from Arizona. But they graduated together, and they lost their dad in the last year. And at graduation, they gave testimony about how they started school because their dad had challenged them to do that. And when he passed, they didn't want to finish. But it was the professors reaching out to them, loving them, guiding them, filling in in that pastoral, fatherly role in a lot of ways, the staff that worked with the professors to get the classes they needed to graduate. And these two brothers gave the commencement address. Young men, I mean, they're young. They're young. Everybody looks younger to me lately. Um, But straight out of high school, finishing bachelor's degrees together. Um, And it was just really, their testimony was amazing. And what they'd gone through and how if they had not been at Grace, Losing their dad could have been something that sent them on a really destructive path. Um, and so hearing them, of course, we're all bawling, you know. So, But it's just been really exciting to be a part of Grace. I'd love to answer any questions you have. Homework doesn't have to be scary. It's challenging and exciting. And I always say one class at a time. Sometimes one class, take a semester break, another class. So um, anyway, thanks for letting me share with you today. And I think that is coming up now. Christy, I um, years ago had the privilege of speaking at James Miner's funeral, and um, you're like, "Dad, where's this going?" I'll tell you where it's going. I stood there while Nell uh, Miner shared about her husband, and while she gave the gospel, and I was standing under the tent at the graveside service. And the Lord impressed on my my heart, hey, Thad, she said everything that needs to be said. I think they've said everything that needs to be said today. I will share two stories with you and one scripture, and then we'll have the youth come up and close. When I was a student, I told Robbie this a few weeks ago. We were eating at Jim and Nick's. And... um, I said, you know, Robbie, when I was a a teenager, I remember Dr. Gannett, Alden Gannett, who was the president of Southeastern Bible College, coming to Lake Charles Bible Church over and over and over again. And I remember the students, them bringing like a choir, and they used to have a choir, and they would travel in the Southeast um, during off-season, and and these, these students were always in front of us, and Dr. Gannett would be promoting the school, and <clears throat> the kids would be promoting the school. Now, I remember Dr. Gannett because I had him in class, um, and I remember him coming to our church when I was a young man, but um, it was the students that kind of left a lasting impression on me. Like, why would these kids, like, just go to a Bible college and why do you do that? I mean, you know, don't you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever it is you want to be? And and um, I just said, well, Lord, that's not for me. Until Jim Pence came to be my youth pastor. And two straight spring breaks, 
we came in 1980 and 1981, that's been a couple of minutes ago, to the old Southeastern Bible College campus on Pawnee Avenue. Some of you may remember that campus. That, that campus is a beautiful campus. And I remember coming to those youth events where you met students from other states. And I'm like, man, these people are excited about the Lord. And I'm like, and they're young and they're like me. And uh, I went back each time thinking, Lord, I don't know about this. And then when my dad told me I wasn't going to live off of him for the rest of his life, but would support me in going to Bible college for a year, and really encouraged me. And I would say to you students, getting that foundation is critical. It was critical then, but what a world we live in today. And you need that foundation of sound doctrine so that you're able to make wise decisions as it relates to where you attend church. If it's not here at Grace, it'll be somewhere. We need to make sure that they, where you go, where you attend, that they have sound doctrine. Because that sound doctrine, and this is how it impacts its students, just one quick thing. If you don't have sound doctrine, it's not going to lead to sound living. But if you have sound doctrine in front of you all the time, you're having to think about the truth of what's being said from God's word. So I would encourage you, even if it's just for one year, get that foundation. And that's what my dad said to me. Son, go get that foundation. I'm like, sure, I don't have anything else to do. Except live off of you here at home. I didn't want to do that. And so the Lord led me to Southeastern Bible College. And five and a half years later, I graduated. And I wouldn't be standing here today if it was not for people like those young people who came and invested for Jim Pence, who took us to these youth events to introduce us to Bible college. And I know for some of you who may be sitting out there today, you're thinking, I just can't do all that. Well, you don't have to get a degree, like Christy said. You don't have to work toward that. But every single one of us needs to be reminded about the goodness of the Lord and his wonderful grace and the way he wants us to behave and live the Christian life. And having training in that is wonderful to be able to do. I have one verse I want to share with you. And it's just, I'm just going to read it. And there's one word I'm going to land on. You know, you know I love food analogies. You know that, right? In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. If there's one thing I know in having three boys when they were babies they would cry and moan and groan and it was usually one or two issues uh, the feeding part I was alright with I could get the bottle and put it in their mouth the other part I wasn't crazy about but when a child wants to be nourished and they can't talk they are going to cry and cry and scream and moan and groan Till you stick that bottle in their mouth and they're like, hey, it's like instant quiet. So Peter says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That word long there is a picture of craving something. Food is something we crave. It's Memorial Day weekend, right? You've got ribs. 
you've got those Boston butts that you've cooked and you're ready to put barbecue sauce all over it, right? And you get those baked beans and you get that corn on the cob, right? And you get potato salad, no onions. And you're like, by the, by the time you finish talking about the menu, you're like, I want that. Think about if we got up every morning saying, I want this. Well, the more that we do that, then it'll just be a natural part of our lives. So I would encourage you to think about this morning, as you leave, visit that table. Take just a minute or two, three, talk with Christy, talk with Robbie. They'll be more than happy to talk to you about your opportunities uh, for Grace School of Theology. Um, so why don't we uh, pray, and then the youth is going to lead us in a closing song. And then after they finish their song, I will not come back up and say you are dismissed. You'll just be dismissed, okay? So let's pray out together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to hold this book, this love letter that you've given to us. Please help us to crave your word. That we just would be like a George Mueller who said there was not a day that went by where he didn't long for the word of God. I just pray that that would be our uh, mind, that we would long for and crave your truth so that we might grow in respect to salvation. Thank you for Robbie, for Christy, for Grace School of Theology, for all those who are involved. We pray your blessings on Grace School of Theology as they always have decisions to make. I just pray that you would give them wisdom. Thank you for our time together today. And we pray, Father, that we would live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all stand and close with us. Thank you.